Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. Welcome to our Catechism class. Today we deal with a very serious subject, the subject of the Ninth Commandment, Thou shalt not bear false witness. And the Catechist in the Heidelberg Catechism deals with that in question 112. He asks, What is required in the Ninth Commandment? And the answer is, I must not give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn, nor join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit, as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbour's honour and reputation. The Catechist is discussing here a real flaw in our fallen human nature. Our inborn impulse to tell lies, he's expanding and explaining the words of the Ninth Commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbour. Now who would do that? Well the answer is very simple. Me and you. And if you say that you wouldn't ever bear false witness against your neighbour, then you are a liar. So let's look at the commandment and the catechist teaching about it. And I want to see today the human tendency to lie and what the ideal Christian character would look like. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast. With Bob McAvoy. So the human tendency to lie, we all do it. Telling lies is not something we need to learn. It's not like foul language. A child who swears and uses foul language wasn't born with that vocabulary they've heard it they've heard it in their own home they've heard it among their friends now lying comes naturally children begin to lie almost as soon as they can speak a certain little boy had a model train in his hands and when i walked into the room the model train went very quickly behind his back so i said to him What have you got behind your back? What do you think he replied? Nothing. Now no one taught him to do that. So telling lies is really our earliest sin, our original sin. Lying, of course, is everywhere. Lying is ubiquitous. Um, The Catechist gives us some examples of lying in question 112. Just let these settle in your mind and see if... They convict you and me. The Catechist talks about giving false testimony. 
bearing false witness. Now that's primarily a legal misdemeanor. To say something that is untrue about someone else in an effort to convince others to adopt that same view of those people that you yourself have. So you could say, well I don't like him so I'm going to speak ill of him. Then other people won't like him too. Well, it can go further than that. Reporting someone to the police for something they haven't done. Ruining people's lives with false allegations. And a purge of sex offenders following the death of Jimmy Savile. A very highly respected, a very well-known popular singer was arrested on accusations of sexual misconduct. The press had been tipped off in advance. A helicopter was hired to film this man being led away from his house under arrest. It was broadcast on national media. Basically his life and his reputation were trashed by the reporting. And as the case developed it was found that the singer was completely innocent. The accuser had lied. He'd given false witness or she rather, had given false witness. But then the Catechist talks about other forms, twisting someone's words. He said, she said, but what's that really what they said? Or was there a context in which they said something that actually makes the statement mean something entirely different? The Catechist talks about gossip and slander, getting a wee juicy piece of gossip and spreading it around hearing something about someone's character and you just can't wait to tell it to someone else and that seems to be endemic among Christians I know some Christians who live extremely secretive lives just because they know that their friends and brethren would like nothing better than to gossip about them and that is sin or condemning someone without hearing their side of the story. There's a principle in law, or at least there was, that a person is innocent until they are proven guilty. Now that's a biblical principle. It's based on Judeo-Christian principles. Everyone has the right to defend themselves, to give their side of the story. If I hear a rumour, if you hear a rumour about a neighbour or a brother or a fellow worker, then that, and that rumour is unsubstantiated, then you can't believe it, you can't condemn them without allowing a right of reply and defence. And even if you join in that kind of activity, even if you encourage it or listen to it uh, and agree with it, it's sin. So that's the ubiquity of lies. Lies are all around us. What about the origin of lies? Catechist leaves us in no doubt about this. He brands all lying and all deceit as being the devil's own works. Lies only come from one source. And that source is the devil himself, who is the father of lies. In John 8 and verse 24, Jesus warned the Jews about whose children they really are if they don't follow him. He said, you are of your father the devil, the desires of your father you want to do are of their father the devil he is a liar says jesus and the father of it it was the devil who told the very first lie back in the garden of eden when he told lies to eve to deceive her into thinking that if she disobeyed god she would be like god 
From that day on, lies have been part of our fallen human nature. For a wee exercise, take your Bible and read Romans chapter 1, verse 28 to 32. And what about the penalty of lies? Well, again, our instructor pulls no punches. Lies, according to the Catechist, fall under the penalty of God's heavy wrath. And just how heavy that wrath is is well illustrated in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, where we read these solemn words, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulphur, which is the second death. Lies. Actually, just one lie in your whole life is enough to bring down the wrath of God upon the sinner, to condemn the sinner under the penalty of the broken law to the lake of fire for all of eternity. One serious question, though, that we have to think about. Is there ever such a thing as a just lie? Is there a time when to tell a lie is actually the right thing to do? Now, I've read several commentaries on the Catechism before I sat down to write this lesson. Even Reformed and Evangelical commentators seem to disagree on whether there is such a thing as a just lie. Some people believe that you must always tell the truth, no matter what the outcome is, and if you really believe in God and trust Him, then He will bring good out of that. For God alone knows what the future holds. We must always tell the truth in honouring him in simple trust that he will preserve us and bring about his will. Others suggest that there may be a time when to mislead people might be a means of preserving life. For example, a prisoner of war might lead his captors about the strength and position of his fellow soldiers, knowing that if he were to give them accurate information, those soldiers would then be attacked. What would you do? There's a very interesting story in the book of Joshua. It's a story of Rahab, the harlot of Jericho. Spies from Israel were active in the city of Jericho when they were almost uncovered by the city guards. Rahab, in whose house they were lodging, hid the spies and deliberately lied to the police to put them off the scent. Now that lie saved their lives. And Rahab, who was then spurred to become a worshipper of the one true God goes down in Israel's history in a very important manner indeed. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 17, we read there, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. Now it's important to know that in her reward, Rahab is not being rewarded for her lies, but rewarded for hiding the spies. So Rahab then goes down in Israel's history. She is mentioned as one of the human ancestors of Jesus in Matthew's genealogy, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, and is commended later in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31 as having faith that it was because of her faith that she did not perish with those who did not believe. In James chapter 2 and verse 25, 
Likewise was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Her works illustrated the faith that she had in God. So here's the big question. Was Rahab justified in telling lies to the men of Jericho in order that a greater good may prevail? What do you think? Is there ever such a thing as a just lie? Or must we always tell the truth, trusting the Lord and knowing that he will bring good to pass? You will have to decide that for yourself. That's an individual moral and ethical dilemma. Lastly, I want to look today at the ideal Christian character. Because having defined the problem so comprehensively, Our instructor now teaches us what the ideal Christian life will look like. And here's the problem. None of us are perfect. We're sinners until the day we die. We struggle with our temptation to sin and the temptation to tell a wee white lie can be enormous sometimes, even if we just do it in jest and conversation without meaning any harm by it. So the catechist gives us something to aim for, something to measure ourselves against, a metric that will help us to weigh up our own speech and witness and repent when we fall short. A target for every Christian believer, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, is to avoid all lying and deceit. And that's presented by the Catechist as the opposite behaviour to what we have already discussed. A summary of Christian character that is radically different from the character of the ungodly unbeliever who is unconcerned about lying. The Christian will not give false testimony against anyone, will twist no one's words, will not gossip or slander, will not condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. The Christian will avoid all lying and all deceit. And the Christian will love the truth. And right there we get to the very core of the Christian character. The Christian loves the truth because he or she has been brought into a saving relationship with the God who alone is truth and from whom all truth derives. Jesus, God's only begotten Son, said that he is the way, the truth and the life. We can't love the Lord without being a lover of truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 6, in that well-known passage, talking about love, Paul says that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This marks out the Christian as being different from everyone else. The postmodern world does not accept that there is anything such as absolute truth. There's your truth, there's my truth, You have your truth and you must be true to yourself and I have my truth and I must be true to myself. You must live whatever way your truth directs you. That's the the philosophy of the modern world. But it's not the philosophy of the Bible. There is absolute truth. And that truth rests in God and is delivered to us in his word. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 24 to verse 25, Paul discusses this and 
tells us, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What happens is that when we dispense with God's truth, when we dispense with the absolute truth of God's word, we live any way that we like, and we live in a state of immoral uncleanness in the lusts of our hearts, dishonouring and doing despite to our own bodies because we have taken God's truth and dispensed with it and we're living the lie that each of us has the truth within us. So the Christian will love the truth. You cannot love the Lord Jesus without loving the truth. According to the Catechist, the Christian will speak with honesty. It's not enough to understand the truth and believe the truth, even fervently believe the truth, even to fervently believe it and accept it as a personal way of life. The Christian is obliged to speak out, to confess the truth before others. The Christian must be vocal about the absolute truth that God has given to us in his word. It's not good enough to remain silent when people speak falsely about Christ, about the church, about Christians, about the Almighty God that we serve. We must speak up. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, we read this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour. We're to speak to others about the truth. How many times do we listen to the words of our neighbours and they're rabbiting and parroting over all the modern philosophy that we hear in the news, the the broadcast media, um, and we simply say nothing. In fact, we should be telling them what the Bible teaches, what the truth really is. In fact, the Catechist uses an illustration here. He tells us that we must speak and confess the truth both in court and out of court. Now that should help us to understand the seriousness of this matter. If you're called to be a witness in court, you have to speak the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. When you enter the witness box, you will affirm that you will do that or you will take a vow, a solemn binding vow. And you'll be standing in the witness box or sitting in front of a judge who is a stern legal arbiter who is forensically examining our every word. There is this sense of solemnity, a sense of restraint to what we say, a sense that we must think about every word to make sure that every word we say during the trial is absolutely true. And that same sense of awe, that same sense of judicial scrutiny should accompany every word I say in every situation. For all my words, including my lies and my deceits and my untruths, are being recorded in heaven and will be replayed in eternity. How solemn is that thought? So the Christian will avoid all lying and deceit. The Christian will love the truth. The Christian will always speak out with honesty. The Christian will think and speak good of others. 
I just want to leave a wee verse with you before we finish. First Peter chapter 3. I'm reading from verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The Christian will think and speak good of others. So what have we learned from the Catechist today? We've been taught that we are all sinners whose hearts are our worst enemy. They're corrupted by sin, the sin that flows from the disobedience of our first parents who were deceived by the father of all lies himself. But the Christian who has been forgiven, the Christian who loves the Lord Jesus, has a new nature. He or she loathes the sin that besets him or her. And he or she will want to live to please the Lord by loving the truth and by speaking the truth and being kind and truthful to others. We won't always get that right. We're humans. We're sinful. We're not perfect. So when we fall short, as we inevitably will, we will have the assurance that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, Please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.